out of control crying. And at that age, when you're seven years old, like as soon as you see one of your parents crying out of control like that, like you just start crying, right? So I get up there and I'm just, I'm crying now. I don't even know why I'm crying, but I'm crying because my mom, I can tell, is just lost her mind like no no other time I've ever seen before. And so I'm crying, she's crying, we're holding them and I'm, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And she tells me, she finally gathers herself and tells me that I have something to tell you, son. And at that moment, she did not tell me that my dad took his life. At that moment, you know, I'm seven years old and I'm sure she did that to protect me and probably wasn't, I mean, I'm sure that had to been a challenge for her. How do I tell my seven and my five-year-old that their father killed himself? And so her, her way of telling me was that it was an accident, that my father was cleaning his gun, it went off and it, and it killed himself. And so that's what I, what I knew at that, that exact day. And of course I, you know, Welcome to Scratch Your Own Itch Podcast, the show about the things we think about, but don't ever talk about. My name's Logan Tyler Nelson, and I'm your host. These conversations are about creating a life worth living, with a focus on sharing stories about battles in our heads. Topics range from depression, addiction, self-doubt, past traumas, and everyday compulsive thinking. And my hope is that this show will just shed some light on anyone in the dark that feels like they're alone in their daily struggles. Please take note that this show is not meant to be a replacement for a professional diagnosis or professional therapy. I am not a counselor or a therapist. Hey guys, so I have Adam Schaefer with me today. Who is Adam Schaefer? Well, to me, he is like the Sherlock Holmes of the fitness industry. He sifts through all the BS that the fitness industry is spewing out, so he's not your average fitness expert, but he is qualified. He's an IFBB men's physique pro. Adam made his entrance into the fitness world 14 years ago and has continued to send shockwaves throughout the community ever since. He is a man of many talents who wears many hats, kind of like Sherlock Holmes. He is first and foremost a certified fitness expert who has a strong desire to help people in need of major lifestyle changes and daily accountable motivations. So, he is an incredibly driven entrepreneur and business-minded individual with a vision that continually challenges his colleagues and peers to think bigger and achieve more. But why have a fitness expert on a mental health podcast? Well, because Adam has experienced a lot of heartache, such as losing his father to suicide at a young age and not really having a father figure to show him the way on how to be a leader. So he had to scratch his own itch and utilize adversity for good rather than bad by learning how to be a true leader and make dents that matter within the health and wellness industry. So without further ado, guys, I'd like to introduce you all to Adam Schaefer. Thanks for coming on Scratch Your Own Itch, Adam. Hey, man, that what a hell of an intro right there. And, you know, I got to tell you how funny is this that you just as you were saying the Sherlock Holmes thing, which I thought was hilarious. I'm over here smoking my cob pipe. I just, while you were going, <laughs> I went over and I sparked the cob pipe up. And then you said that, and Doug was just dying laughing over here that you just said that intro. <laughs> I pulled over and grabbed the cob pipe. I have no idea why I did that. It just was, I thought, wow, this kid's going to talk for a minute. I'm going to grab this pipe real quick and hit it once or twice. <laughs> so, man, what's awesome. What's going on? I know you've been uh, I know you've been a part of MP since the the early days, and you're part of our. You contribute to the forum a lot. It's been exciting to watch you uh, get going on your own journey and now take off the the podcast. Man, how's it going, dude? Thank you for uh, for saying that. I've been a listener by, uh, for like I don't know, man, like three and a half years, and um, I I did I I studied acting in 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 college and when I was there I was like really into just working out and getting by myself and I'd also sometimes like work out and and listen to lines but then when I was bored of listening to lines I'd listen to Mind Pup and and just finally hear stuff that wasn't BS like everyone else was kind of talking about with with fitness and being like the 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 sort of like 
everyone was talking about just how how many more sets you needed to do, how many more reps you needed to do, how much more intensity you needed to do. And then finally, I started a maths program where at first it was fucking hard to like, honestly, like listen to you guys, honestly, like listen and be like, okay, I'm only going to work out three days a week because I'd go through these mental struggles where I loved working out because it was just like my escape. Like, like right. I would just finally get away. And, um, and, uh, I would do these, the maps, maps black was my first program. And I did that. I, f- I finished that and I was like, oh, I see pretty good results. I'm going to, I'm going to do it all. So I just, I got your guys' bundle and did the, went through the whole thing and like, it was stupid easy. And I looked great. I used the philosophy of maps, like for my life now oh. and it's kind of weird so if you want me to break that down for you later you gotta, you're gonna have to share, share what that is i'm assuming you're going in the angle of you know doing as little as possible to elicit the most amount of change dude no so check this out like i'll set up my day like this like i'll do the first first is like overload where i'm like learning a bunch of shit i'm consuming mind pump stuff i'm, I'm consuming different podcasts i'm consuming different like uh self-help books or because I'm really passionate about mental health. The whole reason why I started this podcast is just to share stories. So I'm consuming. And then the second phase of the day is maybe like the hypertrophy, sort of the medium, sort of like trying to mentor someone or teach someone this information that I just learned. And then the third phase is like just balls to the wall, like supersets, like just trying shit out, like trying to create because I'm a night owl. Like finally, I'll just get in that phase where I'm just trying shit. Like just nothing's going to go right. I'm going to fail while I'm trying it out. But um, just those applications are just so true to life too. Isn't it, isn't it crazy how there's so many parallels with that, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it's nuts. But um, hey, man, I'd like to make some people feel a little less alone just by sharing your story, if that's okay with you. Absolutely, man. Where do you want to go with it? We can go um, anywhere. I've got a long story, so you tell me where what, what parts of it, because uh, I know you've listened for a long time, so you've probably heard, I know you mentioned in the intro about, you know, my father took his life when I was seven, my mom remarried uh, into an abusive relationship after that, I'm the oldest of five children, um, uh, very much so uh, took on a, you know, father or parenting type role at, at a very, very early age, and um, I, we came, we came from pretty much nothing. You know, I had a roof over my head. I never, I never went, went without food. So there most certainly are people that uh, have been in much more challenging situations than I have. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm no stranger to what uh, welfare looks like or food stamps. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to get evicted from a home or not be able to turn your PG&E on for the month. Like, so, you know, we've, we've definitely, uh, uh, went through quite a bit of adversity as kids growing up, uh, all of us. And, me being the oldest, I definitely took uh, the brunt of that or at least took charge of that as much as I possibly could. So, I mean, you tell me where where you want to go in that direction and we can take it anywhere because there's definitely a, a, probably a story for it all. So I'd like to start out with uh, working out is kind of like your meditation, right? And right. it's my meditation as well. And that's why it was so hard to not work out for seven days a week at first. Uh, but realizing that you can do that, you just need to know how to do it correctly um but because working out is like a meditation and 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 getting away where do you think in your life uh is the reason for why you're so dedicated and devoted to working out and at a young age why you looked at yourself in the mirror and it just wasn't good enough where do you think that stems from oh uh, there's a few things but if you were to take it all the way back to my my childhood i definitely think that the, the not having things and the adversity definitely uh, forged this this kid that uh, was not going to fail and was going to get himself out of the situation that he was. And I was going to do it by any means possible. And so that was the mentality I had at a very early age. And I really felt like when I found health and fitness, there were so many, so many of the similar parallels to uh, the way and the approach uh, towards life. That being said, I made a lot of the similar mistakes, like we were talking about earlier with the the program. I too, you know, had the mentality of I would just run as hard as I possibly could. It was like run with me or get run over. Like I'm just I'm I'm not failing and I'm going. And I had a lot of success in my early years having that mentality. But uh, later on, I would burn out and realize that this is not a sustainable way to do things. 
And that's just in my personal life and in business. And there is a very similar parallel to that in the health and fitness space. I mean, when I got into working out, I treated it the same way too. I thought, oh, the harder I work, I'm going to see more results. And I did see good results, just like I saw a lot of results uh, in fitness or in business when I first started working, because I just applied myself as hard as I possibly could. And that will take you that will take you uh, far, but it won't take you far enough for somebody like me who has huge aspirations. So uh, I realized that uh, later on, like in my mid 20s, that, OK, I need to have a different approach. But fitness, man, that it definitely it stems from that same uh, that same mentality. But the other thing that really drove me to the gym was my insecurities. I mean, as a young kid, I was always very skinny. I was uh, tall and lanky. I was 5'3 as a freshman, but then I sprouted all the way up to six foot by the time I was a senior. And I didn't seem to put any weight on though, but I sprouted up damn near a foot and uh, looked like, I mean, I graduated high school at six foot one and a hundred and I think 45 or 150 pounds. So I was rails then. I mean, you could, if I lifted my t-shirt up, you would see most all of my ribs. And I was, and a lot of that was just because I wasn't really hungry a lot of the time. I played a ton of sports. I was into basketballs, into footballs, into baseballs, and I was into wakeboarding. I was into snowboarding. I roller skated. I did everything. Like I was definitely an active, athletic kid. And you know, I you know, as you start to get into high school, and I'm more into girls, and you know, you know how rough high schoolers can be. They definitely are are tough. I definitely got picked on. I got bullied. I got made fun of for being skinny and bird and you know so as a kid that that starts to to kind of stick with you and you know I said okay well I'm going to start hitting the weights and about my junior senior year in high school I started to attempt to work out but the real motivator what I'm sure was driven by this insecure boy who was not comfortable in his own skin and wanted to be bigger and wanted to attract girls and that was originally what drove me to get inside the gym. So it's completely evolved and changed now as a grown adult. But when I first started, uh, those were the things that that uh, pushed me in that direction. I got it. I got it. Yeah, it's so it's so weird how um, those weird adversity moments where we have like just like deep pain for the way we look are often the things that we leverage into being our strengths rather than our weaknesses. and Well, and there's um, the magic right there, right? The magic is, and, and I tell this to people all the time, like the awareness piece of it is the important piece, is, is knowing it. Because there's, there are some ways that you can use that energy to kickstart you in the right direction. So, yeah, I don't think it's a good idea to have this body image issue that I, oh my God, I'm so skinny. I need to get, get muscle. But it's also, if it wasn't for that, maybe I would have never got kickstarted. Maybe I would have never kickstarted myself in the gym and started working out. And I probably would have uh, either one, never done it, or maybe I would have never approached it the right way. But by having this insecurity, like it, it fueled me to get going. And I think a lot of things that drive us initially are driven through our insecurities. And I think there's a part of that that can can be okay as long as you're aware of it and you're in control of it. I mean, still to this day, part of what makes me train and work out is because I like to feel bigger. It does, I mean, I'm going through a phase right now, and I do this to myself where I intentionally will, you know, lay off the weights. I'll be more flexibility focused. I'll probably I'm down, so I'm weighing about 210 pounds right now, and I I walk around at 225, 230 normally when I'm all big and muscular, and so. Part of that is this mental game I like to play with myself is to constantly be challenging myself to be okay with the way I look when I'm smaller because I still know that that deep-rooted that deep insecurity of me as a child still is a major motivator to keep me going and working out in the gym to this day. Even if I say I'm comfortable and confident in my skin and who I am and the way I look, I'd be lying to myself to think that I don't like to feel bigger and fill my shirts out, and you better believe that that is driven from those insecurities that go all the way back to childhood. So I think it's, it, it can be okay when used properly. Like I used it to motivate me to go all the way to the level of competing. But then I also know that that's not a healthy lifestyle. It's not a sustainable lifestyle, both mentally, mentally and physically. So then I love to jump right out of that and say, okay, I'm done competing. Now I'm going to become this flexible yogi kind of skinny guy who's going to play basketball. You know, So I think it's, it can be dangerous, but it can also fuel people in the right direction. But 
what it really comes down to is is your awareness and and do you have the ability to see the things that drive you that motivate you that change your state right like and i talk about this on the show all the time about you know this started for me where at the end of the night i would reflect back on the day and i would think okay what are the things that made me excited today like what there what emotions did i change you know because we all have this kind of like personality that is your your norm right like whether you're a high energy a low energy a calm whatever person you are everybody kind of has what they would consider the norm and then outside of that norm we have these spikes and we have these dips these spikes of excitement and positivity and happy and endorphins rush and you're all oh, feel great and then we have these other ones that come and happen and that you dip and you're sad you're depressed you're angry you're mad whatever but there's something that always causes that state change right there's something that causes me to go up or to go down and most people don't have the self-awareness to look at that and go like, okay, what the fuck was it that just made me do that? And it's taken me years to get to the point where I can do that real time now, but it started with me just reflecting at the end of my day. I'm laying in bed there and I'm thinking about my day and I'm th was it a good day or was it a bad day? Okay, well, it was a bad day. Well, why was it a bad day? What were the things that happened throughout that day that made me feel sad, mad, angry, or whatever to classify this as a bad day? And then learning how to change your perspective. It's like, okay, well, why is it a bad? It's only a bad thing because I look at it like it's a bad thing. What it really could be, it could be a positive thing. This could be a growth opportunity because every time something like that happens, it's a growth opportunity. And if, if I can learn to shift my mentality from being, oh, it's bad, oh, I'm sad, oh, I'm mad, I'm depressed, to, oh, wow, some shit hit the fan or, oh, wow, this happened in my life. How do I look at that and turn that into a positive? And even if I can't learn to turn it into a positive right then and there, just being aware of that and understanding how it affected my emotion and my mood and then being, being, uh, having some perspective with that and detachment and go, okay, well, when I'm negative and I'm sad or I'm mad and I have a bad day, you know, how successful, how productive am I afterwards? And I mean, most people will tell you that, you know, that's your, now you write, you write the day off or now you have an attitude or now you get in a fight with your girl or what are you getting a fight with your parents? And it's because you allowed some bullshit earlier in the day that maybe you couldn't even have controlled to now affect affect you negatively and now it's compounding it's like the old quote that goes you know there's no such thing as big problems only problems that we make big and so i think when you learn to look at those things and change your perspective i think that uh, it's okay for shit to happen it's just learning to to use it to fuel you in the right direction and be aware of it if that makes sense yeah totally totally um yeah, so so what I would love to do is kind of, uh, I guess, reverse engineer and 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 really dig deep and get your story and and go into like what makes Adam Schaefer really Adam Schaefer mm. today. And I don't know if this is possible. If we could kind of go back a little bit, and go back to the mindset you used to have before you had this awesome positive sort of like what what you're able to become you're a very resilient man now. And I'd say like, you had to learn through just failure. So if we go back to a time when maybe, uh, I don't know, when you felt really alone, and you felt like you had no one to turn to and, 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 uh, you know, maybe a little story about bullying or a story with um, maybe binge eating any any battles like that? during during your upbringing uh, well okay you touched on a couple things there that are, are are all different stories and since you just left last on the binge eating one let's let's address that and then we can go back on the other ones so as as far as like you know my my progression of awareness on my own habits uh something that uh, i don't know if i've even talked about this on the show actually so this could be a good one um 30 years of my life i never once tried to reduce body fat or get leaner. So for 30 years, I tried to eat in a caloric surplus and build muscle. So I didn't even know what it was like to try and get lean or what that meant because I was so driven by my insecurities of being small and skinny that I was always pushing to be bigger to the point that even if I had some extra body fat on me, I liked that better than being skinny. So, I mean, you want to talk about you know, a type of an eating disorder. I mean, in a sense, that is one. I mean, I hear I, the way I'm fueling my body is like I and I would eat shit, whatever for I mean, I think I string I strung four or five years straight of every single night crushing a Ben and Jerry's ice cream every single night. 
And, you know, I didn't look at it as addiction to the food or I didn't think that I had any sort of an eating disorder. What I saw, saw or what I thought as a young man who was trying to get bigger is I need to get big. I burn so many calories. I can eat this shit. And so I just justified that I'm going to just keep pounding all this ice cream because I still am nowhere near as big as I want to be. I want to be bigger. I'm not big enough. So uh, 100%. And what's, what happens to us, and this happens with clients, and this, I'm, I'm so used to this. It's amazing that I, I can have the same issues that I've been talking to thousands of people about for so many years. So I'm not immune to the same exact thing, which is also, I think, where the empathy comes from, from all the Mind Pump hosts is, you know, that's, that's part of our uniqueness, I think, in comparison to a lot of fitness professionals that are out there. A lot of fitness professionals out there are full of fucking shit. A lot of them out there are, they put on the facade that they have this life that you want so bad because they walk around at 4% body fat all the time. They have all the cool cars, all the cool chicks, and everybody loves them. But in reality, it's nothing like that for them. And they have all kinds of issues that are going on if they, if they really are keeping themselves in that kind of shape year round because it's not sustainable. It's not healthy. And most people that were driven to get to that level, they were driven through their insecurity. So, you know, 100%. Um, I had it, it was just a, it's a different type of eating disorder, right? I wasn't starving myself and throwing up. So people don't think it's a disorder. I mean, you can have it the other direction too. Mine was just overconsumption of shit all the time because I was so insecure about being skinny. So, you know, it took a long time before I broke through that. And I will say where I felt like I came full circle was not that long ago. I mean, because like I told you, I, all the way up till 30 years old, I was trying to build, I needed to be bigger. And the, the, the thing that made me go the other direction was when I decided that I was going to get the leanest I'd ever been in my life. Because for the first time, I'd felt like I'd actually kind of fallen out of shape. You know, even though I was bigger, I was like, wow, I've never had a midsection. Like, I've always had abs. And I was never the kid who didn't have abs. I just didn't have enough size to me. And for the first time, I had not only did it, was I not big as I wanted to be, but I also had lost my abs and realized like, oh shit, like I need to, I need to lean out or let's see what this would, what this is going to look like when I do that. And, you know, I found out all kinds of things about my own body and my own eating habits when I started to do that. And I started to lean out and that process was what catapulted me to uh, decide to go into competing. And during that I was, I was tracking everything on social media and I was, you know, sharing my transformation and it was getting a ton of traction. This is well before mind pump. And this is a lot of like what, what led me into this direction to eventually for all of us to come together and build mind pump was I was already uh, building a social media presence. And I knew that the future of business uh, was going in that direction. I've always been an entrepreneur. I knew I needed to get into social media and I thought, okay, this is a good, this is a good thing because my whole life as a trainer in my twenties, clients used to always tell me like, oh, you're so young. Wait till you get older. And I, I hate that. It used to drive me crazy because I'd be trying to give them all this knowledge and they just, I could, I never felt like I had all their respect because I was too young and I don't know what it's like to be fat. And so for the first time in my life, I actually felt fat. Now for me, I was, you know, 19.7, so it was 20% body fat. So I wasn't like obese, but I was definitely overweight for sure. And for the first time ever, I was out of shape and could show people, well, watch, if I want to put my mind to it, watch me lean out. And then in, a, in addition to that, I had never uh, ever cut before. So this was going to be a whole new unique process. And I thought I'll, I'll document this and uh, share, share my journey with everybody uh, on YouTube and Instagram. And that's what I started doing. And that uh, that's what grew the page. And then I took it to another level and thought, oh, wow, this is getting all kinds of traction. Let me show people I'll get on stage. And I never, ever, ever, ever in my life, it did it cross my mind to compete until the social media thing. And I saw the, the traction it was getting people were so intrigued by watching my journey because I didn't I honestly did not think people would give a shit I really was putting it out there but I really in the back of my mind if you really asked me I'd be like uh in fact I did a bunch of YouTubes that I never released and I'm so mad that I didn't keep them because I was I thought they were stupid I thought they were terrible I'm like no one's gonna watch these no one's gonna listen no one gives a shit what I'm doing you know I'm like uh, I don't want to put these out and like a year later, I had a buddy of mine had seen him. He's like, dude, why didn't you share these with people? These are freaking awesome. I'm like, I'm like, really? Do you think so? I, don't, I didn't feel like they were that impact. He's like, no, it's, it's a great story. And so uh, that's kind of what motivated me to get back into sharing more of it. But when I first did it, 
I was doing it and I didn't think that anybody would care about watching the journey until I started getting into competing. And then I really started to see like, oh, wow, these people uh, are really intrigued by this whole process. And then I think it's kind of unique because uh, I did it alone. I did it different than a lot of people do. I wanted people to sh I wanted people to see that you could do this too. You could do this on your own. You don't need to hire some bullshit coach who probably doesn't know what he's talking about anyways and be a part of some, you know, high school drama team, you know, and be a part of a team and play the politics. It's like, it's not about that. If it's about getting in the best shape of your life, you have the tools, you have the resources to do that. And that was really kind of the message behind me doing that. But that process, it forced me because I had to track food and pay attention to what I was doing on a whole nother level. It really made me aware of the foods that I had become kind of addicted to and there was a process of of getting rid of that, man. I it, it was not easy. I mean, still to this day, I struggle. Everybody knows I share on my show that the, the Diet Coke thing has been uh, something that I go back and forth. And I'm very aware of it. So I'm, I'm mindful of not letting it get out of control or whatever. But I also enjoy it. And I try and, uh, you know, cycle on and off of, of letting it within the diet. And these things, though, I didn't have any, I didn't pay attention to any of that shit before. I just was eating to get bigger because I couldn't get big enough. And when I got into competing, it really caused me to have, you have to have some awareness. Like there's no way you take yourself to a competition level um, and you're not aware of what you're doing because you're having to track every freaking detail. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And that's, a, that's, a, I also see you're such a detail oriented person though. And, um, because I think you have to be, I guess bodybuilding to me is, is not a physical sport. I really think it is a mental sport. Um, it's, it's so hard to keep yourself on that program or on that schedule. So for you, like what taught you during your, your upbringing to be that way, to, to, to stick to that plan and, and to, I'm really just curious on this question, like what makes someone uh, have a very clear vision of something that they want to achieve and then they kind of fall off the rails. Well, why do you think people do this that? This is the, and I know you're like into the self-help stuff. I'm a huge fan of like Tony Robbins and you know, this, this is part of the, you know, I think, and I love uh, my parents and I, I thank them for everything, you know, the good and the bad, because I know 100% that everything that I went through also forged me into the man that I am today. And, you know, when you're, when you're faced with the type of adversity that I had with my father taking his life at seven, then my mom uh, being in an abusive relationship and us never really having money and things. And so if I wanted anything, I mean, I, I had to figure it out on my own. There was no, I didn't have any handouts. I didn't have any uh, rich family members or somebody else who was taking care of me. And for me, it, it was like, it was the norm. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't weird. It was, this is how things work. Like you want new bed sheets, like figure it out. You know, like if you want a TV in your room, like figure it out. Like you want to be able to drive a car to school, like figure it out. Like I had to just, if I wanted these things, like my, my mom and, and dad at that time, my stepfather, like the, their thing was like, there's a roof over your head. You know what I'm saying? You got food on the table. And even though we had to do food stamps and shit, and I have all these bad stories, I always was fed and I always had a warm place to sleep. So, you know, that they provided that the rest was on me. And if I wanted things and, you know, I was a normal high school kid. I grew up in a little small town. It was uh, it was a kind of a country town, but it was also a little rich town with a golf course in it. And so that so all of my friends were all wealthy and had things. They had toys. They had all the cool clothes. And, and I didn't. I was the, the I was the poor kid of the group. And it really uh, it forced that early on. I mean, I was working by the time I was 15 years old by 15. Uh, and I started my first business. So I started A&J Lawn Mowing Service. And my mom would uh, take me in the minivan. I used to fold down the back seats of the minivan. I would put the lawnmower and the edger and all the clippers and everything. And my business partner and best friend at the time, uh, we I would have my mom drop me off in the rich neighborhood. And we would literally push our lawnmower door to door, knocking on people's door and asking them if they would like us to mow their lawns until we, we got convinced enough people that kept us busy for the day. And that was the, my first experience of building my, my first business. Now I didn't get rich off of that, <laughs> nowhere near it, but I 100% learned some major lessons, uh, doing that. And, you know, I was able to create 
uh, a little bit of income for myself, which paid for lunch food and, you know, could get new shoes here and there and, you know, allowed me to kind of do the normal high school things with people. So I, in, in a sense, I was blessed and I, even though I didn't have a lot of things, I was still able to do a lot of things, but I created that for myself. And I realized that early on that I created it for myself. And so I think this is something that a lot of parents struggle with when they're raising a kid is like, you know, how much do you give to your kid? Like how much you love them so much and you want to give them the world, but do you really? Because sometimes when you do that, sometimes, or if not sometimes, most of the time, that kid ends up taking that for granted and they end up being kind of like the spoiled kid, or even if they're not spoiled, they're ungrateful or they don't, they don't have that uh, work ethic or they've never been through that adversity of that survival mode where they have to figure things out. And I 100% believe that it's what made me into who I am. If I didn't have those challenges, if my mom and dad bought me a TV because I wanted one in my room or got me new bed sheets because I asked for it, which I think are both total normal things for a kid to probably ask and get from his parents, um, if they could just provide it for me like that, I probably would have never gone out and pushed a lawnmower up and down streets in the super hot summers where I lived and try to get people to pay me $10 a lawn to mow their lawns. And so, you know, there's something to be said about adversity. And as a child, you feel sorry for yourself. So, you know, me talking to you right now, this is a 36 year old man who's reflecting on his life. You know, as a kid, I was, I was angry, you know, as a kid, I was frustrated as a kid, I was mad at my family. And a lot of that chip on my shoulder is what pushed me and motivated me into my late teens and early twenties into entrepreneurship and success was I, I was not going to be a failure. I was not going to go down the same path as my parents are. And so a, I, a lot of that was anger that really pushed and motivated me when I was, when I was younger. And it wasn't until now and later years of my life that I kind of put that all together that, you know, that's not healthy either. You know, you, I don't want to, you don't want to be motivated by, by anger or a chip on your shoulder because with that comes other things that will end up blowing up in your face. And most certainly, you know, uh, I saw that I, you know, I had this, you either run with me or get ran over. And I had success with that because it was like, listen, I, I didn't ever need anybody. I still don't need anybody. I'll go into a business and I'll take it over and I'll be successful at it. And if you figure out, or I, if you listen to what I have to say and you do it with me together, we're going to be successful. If you don't like me or you don't believe in me, then I, that's your loss. I don't, I know I can do it on my own. And I had a lot of success that way. So I thought that was the right formula. That's what got me from 15 all the way to about 25. And, you know, it wasn't until about 25 years old. This is when I started something happened to me at work at kind of transformed me. And I began reading more and more and more. And the more self-aware I became, I, I'm like you right now where you're at in your life. I've, I've read a ton of Tony Robbins and John C. Maxwell and a ton of self-help type books. And uh, I love that stuff at that time. And that led me down the path of leadership and management and, and business and, and all those types of books. And once I started, once I got that thirst for knowledge and I started reading, I mean, it, it all started to click and come together. I mean, the, the, the aggression, the chip, the insecurities, all those things kickstarted me at the beginning. Um, but where I'm at now is that's a lot of the, the growth mindset of not stopping. And still today, and it reminds me of an Abraham Lincoln uh, quote, which is, you know, I have no respect for a man that is uh, no wiser today than he was yesterday. And, you know, I, that was a quote that I used to keep on my desk when I first started getting into reading back when I was 25. And I've just, I've kept that, that mentality till now, man, I still have this every day I can be better every day. I can learn every, there's always something I can learn from somebody to continue to push and grow. And, you know, that's kind of where uh, I started and that's kind of how I started to form into that uh, person. I dude, I agree with that so much. Like just the sort of, you can learn from anybody and that's uh, basically why I'm really starting this show is like, you can learn from anybody, like really anybody. And it's all about, I think, um, just feeling less alone in that journey because uh, like to, to me, like, Adam, I really look up to you. And, um, I mean, you've shared things on the, on the show where just like, just, it wasn't like, um, you were trying to make me learn this. Like I was, I wanted to learn this because you were sh sh 
tapping into this part of you that was just really confident in what you were saying. Um, and I think that, that that's something for a lot of people have a hard time kind of tapping into like that, that place of, of confidence. And so I kind of want to make that shift of how do you like really get into your confident place and, and to realize like that you need to tell some people things that they don't want to hear all the well, time there, and to be okay well, with Well, there's that. a good book for that. It's called Crucial Conversations. Also, Jack Welch is winning or two really good books in that direction. But I'll tell you that what really, um, so this, this goes back all the way to being teased and bullied. I was teased. I was bullied. I didn't have money. But I also was the kid that, you know, played sports, was most popular, dated the hottest girl in school. And it was like, how is this possible, you know, for that kid? And wh what was possible about it was I fucking owned everything. You know what? Yeah, I am poor. You know? Yeah, I have crooked teeth. Yeah, I am skinny like that. So what? Like I just, I, I was, I was okay with who I, who I was. Yeah. I had certain things that I had insecurities deep down that drove me to work out and do things. But again, that was what, you know, that was internally what motivated me to get me to lift the way I projected myself to people. I always had confidence. I was the kid who, because my, my parents can afford to have the latest and greatest clothes and the styles. I put my own style together and I, and I've had that since day one. I still to this day, like, Taylor, he's my my young hip guy, and Drew, who are in their early twenties, and they're always uh, making fun of my swag. And I said, "Hey, bro, it's not about what you wear; it's how you wear it." And I wear this shit good. So I used to always say that to him, and I've said that since I was a young kid. That I've just carried myself that way. That hey, that's your style because you got it off some fucking magazine or some rap star put it on. And all of a sudden, it's a style. Like what? No, I'll wear what I want to wear, and this is my style. Like I don't want anybody else's style. This is my style, and this is what I like to rock. So I wore crazy hats. I wore bright jackets. I, I wore what well, I wore what in reality, I wore whatever the fuck I get my hands on at home. <laughs> you know, that's what, that's really what I wore, but I didn't allow me, I didn't allow it to, to, to bring me down. And still to this day as an adult, I've, I've had many things like this. So, you know, I've never been, um, I don't know if I have some sort of a speech impediment or I have some sort of ADD, ADHD, but I definitely know that the way that my brain downloads information and then I process is it definitely skips a beat sometimes. And uh, you've been listening to the show for a long time. I'll randomly, I'll be talking, da, 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 all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden I'll make up a fucking word. And I don't even know I make it up unless somebody calls me out on it. And it's, it's weird how that's always been with me. It doesn't matter how much I read, how much I study that's been with me since I was a young kid. And, you know, of course, people love to, to pick on me and point that out still to this day. I mean, to my, my co-hosts make fun of me all the time. And that could really get on, especially if I've had that for a long time. And this is something that uh, is an insecurity of mine, like that could really slow somebody down. I mean, if that's an insecurity, which absolutely when I was younger was, but now I just own it. Like, yeah, man, fuck it. I, I don't know what's wrong. My brain just processes like that. I'm saying I'm speaking my mind. I'm speaking from my heart. And you know what? Sometimes it all doesn't come out the way I want it to. And, and sometimes I got to apologize and backpedal like, whoops, I didn't mean to say that way. I didn't mean to offend you. And I've done that many a times. But fear stops so many people. So many people are afraid of being ridiculed. So many people are scared of saying the wrong thing. Like, nah, fuck that. Say it. Say it. Get it off your chest. Say what's on your mind. And you know what? Learn from it. And tell you what, I have fucked up a bunch of times. I said a lot of the wrong words. I've done a lot of the wrong things. But you know, it's reps. It's all about reps. And that, that goes back to my sport background, man. I was never, I was never the most gifted athlete. I do not have, I'm this lanky, swimmer-looking body type that played all the sports that didn't, did not play into that. I didn't ever get in a pool like I should have. And even when I played basketball, I was playing the wrong goddamn position for my body type. This, I, and so, but what I did do was I just, I outworked everybody. Oh, uh, I, I, I had that work ethic installed in me at an early age and I just worked and put reps in and put reps in and failed and failed and failed and failed. And I just, it stuck with me. And I don't remember if I read something when I was younger or something came across me, but I remember one of the first times hearing, I don't know where I was in my life, but I remember hearing that, you know, you'll, you're going to fail, you know, 70% of the time. And I'm thinking like, God, that's a lot, man. That's a lot of times to fail. But then I thought, okay, well, if it, most people are going to fail 70% of the time, well, you know, th where's that third? How do I get to that 30%? Well, if I hurry up and get through all the failures, eventually I'm going to get to the success. And so that model has just has stayed with me forever. It's like, I'm just going to keep 
I'll keep running into this fucking brick wall until I break through it, you know, or until I get smart and I go around it or climb over it. But I'm sure as shit not going to see a brick wall and stop in my tracks and be afraid of, oh, God, how do I get over this obstacle? No, I'm just going to attack this obstacle. More than likely, I'm probably going to attack it the wrong way the first time. But you better believe I'll fucking figure it out. And hopefully and now where I'm at in my life and being older and building the network and the amount of relationships and people have. It's pretty cool now. Now, now when I see obstacles, there's probably somebody who I know really brilliant in that with that deals with that obstacle that I can reach out to and call. And that that is definitely I attribute that to my relationship building that I've done for so many years that, you know, I can reach out now and uh, ask for help or say, hey, man, I've got this obstacle in front of me. What do you think about this? And so now I'm a little bit more proactive. You know, I don't run into as many brick walls as I used to, but I run into a shit ton of them getting to where I am today. And I think that the, the, the real takeaway from that message is that, you know, don't, don't be afraid of, of your insecurities. Don't be afraid of your failures or fear. Embrace that shit. Embrace it because with that comes growth. And with that, success is on the other side of fear, right? So even though I'm afraid of this situation, success is on the other side, man. And if I can get through the fear part and be okay with the possibility of failure, then eventually I will reach success. And so I just got to have that mentality. And once you make that mental switch, then it's game on, man. Then it's about reps. Once you make the mental switch, then it's about reps. And you know what? Some people are more talented. You get, you take uh, my co-host and I, like Sal. Like Sal has this gift and this ability to remember things like nobody other. He can sit down. He can rip out brilliant content. I can do that stuff. It takes me way more time, way more reps, but I can. You know, I've, and I've shown myself that I can do those things. And so you just got to know that, yes, and you can't compare yourself to other people other, there's going to be, there's definitely going to be somebody who does what you do faster or a little bit better or whatever, but that you just got to get your reps in, get your reps in and you're going to find your own way. And I think just most people get ended up stuck at sitting, standing still due to fear or due to our insecurities. Hey guys, I really hope you're enjoying the conversation that I'm having so far with my guest today. I'd really like to offer you guys an opportunity. Well, more so, actually, an act of kindness. I would love if you guys took some time just to scroll down in the review section and write a review on what you think about the podcast and if it's affecting your life at all. If it is, That'd be awesome to just leave a review, and I would love to take my favorite review and send you a gift. Send you a gift out of kindness. Something that's going to scratch your own itch, of course. And if it does, well, maybe you can also support the show by sharing it with someone as well. So, with that being said, you guys are enough, and you matter. Back to the show. Yeah, totally. And I think that it's a weird thing that, uh, like, I I Googled you, Adam, and I found right away all your YouTube videos and what you used to look like. And, like, I'm not going to lie, you did not look like someone that worked out at all. (laughs) Like, the first YouTube videos on your transformation. And you stood there, though. with, With this sort of, like, showing off where you were right now and how you were going to transform your body and it was like you you were the you were a human guinea pig in that moment and you're like I'm going to show you that I can actually make the big transformation and so I feel like that you are someone that is able to trust the process and to to be able to actually somehow take the big goal and then process it um, is there anything else in your life right now where you see this huge goal happening? Maybe it's a goal for mind pump, or maybe it's a goal for, for yourself and you're able to break it down in small enough chunks, to actually process it and fall in love with the process. Could you kind of go into oh, that? I, I tell you what, I'll give you what I was, I was on a call right before you and I got on this phone and, uh, mind pump right now. So, uh, this is the second business that I've been a part of a building. Uh, that is this big. So 
I've been here before uh, from a revenue from a revenue standpoint, and I remember some of the challenges uh, that I had when I was here. And a great book for that, Scaling Up, talks about this. It's not really for somebody who's just starting in business and entrepreneurship. It's kind of more for somebody who's been successful building a business and is now building a company or trying to build an empire. And what does that look like? And, and it's a fucking monster. Um, and I think that I think the first level is extremely hard. I think just getting to the point where you can make a living for yourself as an entrepreneur, you're already at a disadvantage. You know, only 20% of those people even make it. So I think that that's already hard enough. And then the next level of that is, you know, how many people make it into being, you know, millionaires and multimillionaires. And it's a very, very small percentage. And there's a reason for that. It's not really normally because of a, a, a bad idea or a lack of a product. It's, it's all the other intangible things that not a lot of people talk about. And there's a few good books out there, like I said, scaling up in regards to that. And that's where we're at right now with this company. You know, we've got, you know, eight different contractors and employees that work for us. We've got people overseas that are constantly working on editing and stuff like that. We've got uh, bloggers that are right for us. So there's probably, you know, 15 to 20 people that are reporting to all the four of us um, at all times. And there's always somebody working on the, on the business. And it's tough, man. It's really tough to have the vision for the business, execute on uh, the tasks at hand, continue uh, keeping the momentum going that's going right now, and then be have the foresight to know, okay, you know, where's my blue water next? Because it's inevitable, even if Mind Pump is the is the greatest podcast ever, sooner or later somebody else is going to come do the same thing or do it a little bit better. So you've always got to be searching for that blue water. So right now. Um, you know, we are about to transition to our new website. So Tuesday, it goes live up into this point. Um, we have had a website that gets the job done. It's not designed to sell people on anything. It's designed for if you listen to Mind Pump, you want to get a program, then you know where to find it. But it does not do a good job of converting cold traffic. And obviously, if we're a internet-based business, uh, that's kind of an important piece. And But we also know that as an important piece it is, the other pieces that we've been putting together first is far more important. Finding your why, understanding the direction of your company, your purpose behind it, perfecting your craft. Those are the things we've been doing for the last three years that you've been a part of by listening, you know, is really honing in on our craft, really learning what we're doing. I mean, I don't know fucking anything about podcasting. Are you kidding me? I've never done a radio show. I've never done TV. I don't have any, I don't have no experience with any of that stuff. None of us do. And we knew there'd be a learning curve. And we knew that that part of the business was more important than having some fancy website and having this team of people and shit. It's like, let's get good at our craft. Let's prove that we're good at our craft. Let's define our why. Let's execute at our why. Let's continue to push that vision out there. And then let's build our tribe. You know, And once we have our tribe of people, which Mind Pump most certainly has now, and, and now all these other things start to, to uh, become really important. So we're in the process of rebuilding this website. Uh, we're about to market and advertise for the very first time in the history of Mind Pump. So this entire time that we've built it, built it to where it's at now has been 100% organic. And you know now we actually have a, a legitimate budget that we can spend on marketing and advertising every single month. And that's all about to happen. And the hardest part that I'm dealing with right now is I've got three partners that are unbelievably talented and have incredible visions and are unbelievable in, in that aspect. And where we all kind of lack a little bit is the the day-to-day -day focus and the task type stuff. I mean, what makes us so grand is that we are, there's four visionaries all together uh, from different walks of life and backgrounds, and it's created this incredible dynamic. But, you know, I always tell people, with your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. And that's our greatest strength for sure. Now, that also is our greatest weakness. Uh, real easily, we can be distracted in all the visionary type of ideas. And, you know, there's little things that we need to accomplish and knock out that may not sound as fun to talk about or exciting to paint the picture and, you know, go down, go down that route. But it needs to get done. And, you know, for a business to run efficiently, uh, especially at this level, you got to do that. And so... This is a, a struggle of mine and everybody else, especially the other three that uh, are part of owning this thing that uh, we're all kind of going through. And it's, you know, it's humbling. One of the things that we have done is we've actually hired somebody 
uh, a company now that is handling that whole process. And not only are they handling it, but we even have allowed them to come in and manage our minutes meeting and almost treat us like they're the CEO of our own company. Now talk about some hu huge humility that you need to have to have built a multi-million dollar business and to know that you still need help and then to reach out to somebody and then say, hey, I know you don't really know much about my business. You're just getting involved in here, but I kind of want you to tell us what to do. Not a lot of people can do that. And even ourselves, that's something that like we, we even have to all check ourselves and our own egos because our own ego says, I got this shit. Like I built this motherfucker. I don't need anybody else to tell me what I need to do. But in reality, we kind of do, you know, in reality, we have to recognize that, man, we each got these incredible strengths, but then there's parts of the business that, you know, it's not our strength and that, you know, being okay with letting go of those parts of the business, because we know it's going to enhance the whole process. So this is a current hurdle that uh, we are, we are going through right now and have been going through for the last couple of months. And, you know, I can definitely see the light at the end of the tunnel right now. It's a, a lot of stuff is coming together. We just came off of what normally in the fitness industry is a terrible month. So October, November, December is terrible to be in health and fitness space because everybody's getting fat and having a good time drinking and spending time with their family. And uh, we, we are doing extremely well and our website seeing four times the traffic as it was any previous month. So, you know, everything's going good. And that's a, a lot of that is because I have three incredible partners uh, that I, I've never met three other men that uh, have the confidence, uh, the strength, the talent, and then also the humility uh, that these guys do. I mean, it's the only reason why Mind Pump works because typically, you know, a business of this size would have a defined CEO and it's like you he is in charge of the direction of this company and everybody reports to him and it's really not like that at all. In fact, you know, all four of us uh, make every decision that gets made and you know, of course, we've all learned that each guy has different strengths and to kind of let different guys take the lead in different situations. And uh, it's worked out beautifully. But to say that it hasn't been uh, a growing pain or a challenge uh, would be a lie. It's absolutely been a challenge. Uh, otherwise, we'd be a $100 million company already. So um, I'm going through that right now. And so are the boys. So that's something that's uh, recent. And those are they're always these are these are things that I think every day is happening to people. I mean, every day you've got a, a, a possible growth opportunity. And again, going back to the state change, like, and what leads me to see these things is, you know, I'll, I'll have a day, which, which all of us boys, we absolutely all love each other, have a ton of respect, and we'll be podcasting, doing our thing. And then I, I found myself, you know, the boys call me moody, right? That's their, that's their thing. They say I'm moody. And I, I'm aware, you know, I'm not an idiot. I can feel myself when I'm that way. And, you know, because I have partners like that, that I have so much respect for if they say a comment like that, I, I evaluate it. And I think, I think about it and go like, man, okay, if they feel that way, I am being that, why am I being that way? Okay. I'm frustrated. Well, why am I frustrated? I'm frustrated because we're not getting certain things accomplished that I know we need to get accomplished. And it's like, okay, well, is me being moody and frustrated and letting that affect my energy? Is that actually, is, is what's my desired outcome? If my desired outcome is to accomplish that task then that's not the way to go about it because that's not going to get done. All that's going to do is potentially frustrate my co-host, which in turn could then have cause us to have a weak ass or a soft podcast episode and or frustrate them and turn them off to not even do it. So, you know, that one of the best things I ever learned in business was this was given to me from a good buddy of mine, Mark Baker, and that was a desired outcome. And he would always challenge me like that. I'd come to him and for advice, I was like 22 years old. And I'd be like, oh, I'd tell Mark, I'm like, man, I'm so fucking frustrated. This trainer, I told him to do this. They didn't do that. I'm going to fire this fucking kid. And he's like, calm down, relax, take a breath. He goes, what's your desired outcome? I'm like, what do you mean? I, I want this kid to do this. He's not doing it. I'm firing. He's like, relax. What is your desired outcome? Unpack it, back up. Think about what you want to happen, okay? Before you even get into this conversation, what do you really want to happen? Take your emotions out of it and then think about that and then ask yourself honestly, the way you're about to go about it, is it the best way for you to get your desired outcome? And that just like, like boom, it hit me. And I was like, fuck, you're right. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a closer by heart. I'm a sales guy. So when you, when you tell me something like that, I'm thinking to myself, damn, you're right. Like, that's not going to close what I want. Like, that's not going to get the desired outcome. That's not how I would handle a situation like that. If I really want that person to change and do what I want them to do, 
coming at them a certain way like that is never in, which is the same thing that I have to people that have a, have a hard time communicating relationships. Like your partner gets mad at you and you get angry and you yell, like, or you, even if you don't get angry and yell, you get combative or you say things a certain way, like you're already losing. You're already a silly. Like if your desired outcome is to get your partner to change or to understand your feelings, then your approach when you get angry or mad, you've already lost. Like, because when you do that, people automatically put a wall up. They're not receiving your message. They're defensive. They're already thinking about what they're going to argue back with you. Nobody fucking wins. So what the fuck are you doing? If your real desired outcome is to get somewhere, is to fix this, is to change their mindset, you got to change your whole fucking approach. And I feel like that's the same thing in life. And it applies to fucking fitness. It applies in relationships. It applies in business. What is your desired outcome? Unpack that shit and think about it. Like you're frustrated. You're mad because of this struggle in your life right now. Well, the way you're, you're, you're receiving it and then presenting it to others, all it's doing is making it harder for yourself. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, that's not, that's not helping the cause. It's not getting you closer to your desired outcome. Wake the fuck up. So that is the, the thought process now that I've trained myself to have. And that stemmed back, like I said, to my buddy, you know, Mark Baker. For sure, a lot of who I am today comes from uh, the opportunities to work with other brilliant men in my life because I didn't have that as a kid. I mean, you, you touched on it a little bit. You know, my, my father took his life when I was seven, so I didn't really have, and then my stepfather was just fucking, he couldn't get his shit together. He couldn't hold a job or provide at all. So that's, that would, those were my examples for men. You know, I got a man who gave up on life and took his life at seven. Then I get another man in my life who can't fucking keep a job and is chasing every MLM around the corner. And so that's my example. I didn't get real, real men examples in my life until I was like in my 20s. So that's that. And I tell you what, like as, as, as all the mistakes that I think my mom made and the things I learned from, the one thing I did get from my mother is that my mom is a fighter. She's always been a fighter. Where she's at now in her life is amazing. I'm so happy for her. My mom went on. My mom finished college at 40-something years old. So my mom went on to went back to school, finished her degree. She's a teacher. She's got a great job. She's got a great retirement now. She's now engaged to get remarried. And I couldn't be happier to see where her life is. But, man, did she – she went through the ringer, man. She had a tough childhood, then she, and then losing her, her first husband, then marrying into an abusive one. And I know a lot of those things she brought upon herself, but at the end of the day, she fought through all of it. And she de- that, those traits were carried over to me to be a fighter, but it wasn't until later in my life that I met men in their you know, 20s and 30s that I actually get like really good, influ- good influencers like that that uh, help guide me and form me into who I am as like a leader. Hey, do you mind if we kind of go into uh, the day that you found out your father? Sure um took took his life because because yeah my my uncle he he took his life and um it was like just uh just the the thoughts that led up to that event and and what 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 you were thinking about right before it and and all that stuff um i just think uh is is valuable there was there's not a lot of like really good solid memories that i have in my childhood and i'm sure that's because there was a lot of dark times and so I think as a kid, you tend to block a lot of stuff out. But that day is, a, a for some reason, as a seven, seven because I, I couldn't tell you what happened the day after. I couldn't tell you what happened the day before. I have no clue. Um, but I do remember that day extremely vividly because I was, I was seven and a half years old. I was at school. And my uncle, who I never see, came to pick me up from school. Um, and I never see him because my mom and him have a dysfunctional relationship and they don't speak to each other. And my uncle showed up to, to pick me up from school. So right away I was like, what's, what's going on? Why is my uncle here? And, it, and, you know, he didn't say much to me. He just picked my sister and I up from school and we climbed in the back of his black BMW and off we went. And as a kid, I was like kind of halfway excited. I'm like, I never see my uncle and I get to see my, oh, this is cool. I'm getting out of school early and my uncle picked me up. He's not really saying much, but that's okay. It's my uncle, right? So I'm thinking everything's all fine at this point. And he takes me to a house that's around the corner from my house and that house. So, I mean, I don't know how vivid we want to get here, but I'll tell people that, you know, my dad shot himself uh, with one of his own guns. And uh, at our house and the way the way he did it was my mom and him were getting and this is just so you know, too, this, a lot of this information I learned later on in life. So as a young kid, um, I was very confused and wasn't certain about all of this shit. I had to piece a lot of things together. A lot of uh, 
a ton of um, secrets and uh, deception and privacy and separating us from parts of the family happened to me after this fact. So for many years, I didn't know a lot about uh, my own father and even what led up to this whole process because to this day, you know, our family claims that we have no idea why. Now, as an adult, I put some things together myself and think I have the reason why, especially since, we, you know, you have that same blood in you. So the same fears are the things that drive me. I assume probably were in my father. And if there's anything that I could see that really gets me going emotionally and stuff, it's the, the ability or inability to provide for myself. And I could just, I mean, I don't even have kids and a wife. And if I had a wife and kids, uh, I imagine I would be an ama even more of a maniac. I'm already a maniac to provide for myself. Uh, if I if I had others that were depending on me, uh, I'm sure I'd be a maniac. And I'm so my mom and him. So my mom and my dad were. Uh, I think it was like a Tuesday or a Thursday in the in the middle of the week, and I'm at school. They were about to head off to go see somebody to um, cons uh, consult them on their debt, and they had debt. They had bought a house couple of years before that and um they but they had been racking up some debt and they were and they were potentially going to lose the house if they didn't figure something out and so my mom goes outside and with my dad and they start the car up to leave and he go and he and my dad tells my mom hang on one minute i'm gonna go back in the house and he goes back in the house and he shoots himself and my mom comes back in and that's how she finds him and so then, then, then fast forward, I get picked up from my uncle and then we, she takes us over to a neighbor's house around the corner and I walk up and like all my family members that I never see are all at the house. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on? I have no idea what's going on as a kid. And everybody's kind of crying. And at this point I know like shit's not good, but I still don't have any idea what's going on. And, uh, I don't remember which one of my relatives tells me, um, your mom's upstairs and I'll go see your mom. So I walk upstairs and my mom's in the master bedroom all by herself and she is hysterically crying. I mean, just out of control crying. And at that age, when you're seven years old, like as soon as you see one of your parents crying out of control like that, like you just start crying, right? So I get up there and I'm just, I'm crying now. I don't even know why I'm crying, but I'm crying because my mom, I can tell, is just lost her mind like no, no other time I've ever seen before. And so I'm crying, she's crying, we're holding them and I'm, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And she tells me, she finally gathers herself and tells me that I have something to tell you, son. And at that moment, she did not tell me that my dad took his life. At that moment, you know, I'm seven years old and I'm sure she did that to protect me and probably wasn't, I mean, I'm sure that had to been a challenge for her. How do I tell my seven and my five-year-old that their father killed himself? And so her, her way of telling me was that it was an accident, that my father was cleaning his gun, it went off and it, and it killed himself. And so that's what i what i knew at that that exact day and of course i you know i was already crying because my mom cried but i hadn't really felt um i hadn't felt the pain from losing him and i even remember being at the funeral and not crying and it was such a weird thing when i looked back going like why do how did i not cry when i lost my father and, you know, I cried much more as I got older and I realized, you know, not especially imagine my mom marries into an abusive relationship with some other man. I'm going like, fuck, where's my real dad when I want him, you know? So I didn't really cry or mourn my father until years later. For me as a young kid, it was more confusion. I was confused. Um, I, I, I didn't know what, how that could happen. It just seemed so crazy that like that. Something, and then even when I would tell kids at school, I didn't even know how to explain it at school. I remember... My dad was also in the Air Force before he had me. And so I would just, people would ask, where's your dad or who's your dad? And I would just say, oh, my, my dad was in the Air Force and, and he died. And so I would just tell people that. And, just, and what I found was they would assume that he probably died in the Air Force. And then I didn't have to explain that my father killed himself. And so for many years, I told that story that my, my dad was in the Air Force and he died. You know, my dad was in the Air Force and he died. And so that was kind of something that I repeated for a very, very long time until I got into my teenage years. And then my teenage years and I started dating girls and and going to their house with their family and seeing the way they interacted with their aunts, their uncles, their parents. I didn't have that. You know, I didn't have that at all. It was it was really different. In fact, it was very awkward for me when I was with uh like when I would be with a girlfriend's family. I didn't know how to act. I didn't know uh, what that was like to be that tight with your family. Because when my mom went through the suicide, she completely 
separated us from everybody. She, it was too hard for her because my, all my, my father's side blamed my mother for the suicide and all my mom's side, she already had a ton of dysfunction from her childhood. So here I am a kid, don't have my father. My mom's a young wreck. And then I don't have any fucking siblings to lean on or any, or I don't have any, excuse me. I had my sister, I don't lean on, but I didn't have any of my uh, other relatives, aunts, uncles, grandparents, no one like that to really lean on. So that was a, a really, really tough time for me and something to this day that I have to work on. I have an amazing woman now that I've been with for six and a half years that uh, is probably the most self-aware and emotionally intelligent person I've ever met that works. And so we have this incredible relationship where we can communicate and I can share with her. But man, she is a Hispanic woman. We literally live next door to her mother. We see her, her aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, nephews on a regular basis, like every other day. And that is weird as fuck for me because I grew up with none of that. And so I, I don't even have the, the right social skill, skills for that atmosphere. And it's, it's a trip to watch me because if you watch me in my element when I'm working, when I'm around people, I'm, I'm uh, doing seminars with hundreds of people in front of me, I'm on a podcast, all that comes very easy to me. Being in a setting with like uh, families that are all tight and doing things together, like all of a sudden I get quiet, I get shy, I get like, oh, I don't want to be here. So, you know, that's something that has been ingrained in me since I was a kid that fully aware of and, and I know I have it and it takes fucking work to, to work through that process. And so that's something that I, I currently work on because of uh, something that happened to me all the way back to when. Uh, the suicide happened. And I know you asked about the day. I started to go off on a tangent there. I don't know if I answered that question or not, but um, you know that day was a, a pretty crazy day for me, for sure, for me and changed me. But at the time, I didn't realize. It. At the time, I was more confused and and didn't understand what was going. Looking back now, I see the domino effect that it created for for many parts and aspects of my life. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for joining Adam Schaefer and I. There's another episode of Scratch Your Own Itch. Gosh, wow. That was an incredible talk. I'm so, (laughs) I'm like feeling the feels right now. I really am of uh, this first part of the interview. I can't wait until you guys join me again later in part two. But I will say this, that if you're listening right now, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to this instead of doing anything else. You chose this, and that means a lot to me. And so I really, really want to give you something back. If you leave a review, and I pick it, and it happens to be the best review ever, I will send you a gift that scratches your own itch. And if you feel like you have a story to tell, and it just keeps itching away at you, and you yet have actually itched that itch, please reach out to me. I'd love to help you. Because, well, you matter and you're enough.